Hello, girly men. Welcome to the show. I wanted to interview Dr. Frankie Bichon because of her authenticity, her dignity, and her courage to serve her community. She leads by example. As I told her in the episode, if I am reincarnated as a lesbian, I hope to be exactly like her. Dr. Frankie Bichon, or just Dr. Frankie, is a renowned relationship coach and dating expert. She is the founder of Little Gay Book, the most successful, exclusively lesbian and bisexual woman matchmaking agency in the United States. Dr. Frankie launched the Little Gay Book and quickly became the premier lesbian matchmaking service in San Francisco area, Los Angeles, New York, Boston, San Diego, Hawaii, Denver, and growing. She is now expanding the cities she serves and the client base she helps. In addition to her traditional lesbian and bi women client base, she is now helping everyone, regardless of sexual identity or orientation, find heart-centered connection. She is an optimist who feels that everyone deserves to love and be loved. Now, with two decades of experience in therapy and matchmaking, she appears as the resident expert on MTV's Are You the One?, the first reality dating series with a completely sexually fluid cast. Find Dr. Frankie on Instagram at drfrankiebashan, Facebook at Frankie Bashan or at Little Gay Book, on YouTube at Little Gay Book, or her website, just simply drfrankie.com. That's D-R-F-R-A-N-K-I-E dot com, and you can find all of that in our show notes. Enjoy the show. The moment you realized you were a gay man, you were forced onto the path of the other. So you know oppression, inside and out. The calling of otherness has led you on your own hero's journey. And that journey has prepared you for greatness. You are a man answering the call to brotherhood, to conscious sex, and to heart-centered connection. Welcome home, brother. Dr. Frankie has been working for nearly 20 years on, uh, you know, specializing in the LGBT community uh, with couples and individuals with relationship difficulties. And what I like, what I saw you saying that, you know, you bring happiness to their lives by becoming a professional matchmaker. I just hinted that to my uh, <laughs> friend and editor uh, who's a lesbian, and all of a sudden there's an avalanche of questions for you. <laughs> good, good. I love that. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, I do want to mention the, that it's April. It's Monday, April 13th. Um, what is this? The third week of the pandemic. And, you know, that just really shapes... <laughs> so many things, um, especially what we're going to talk about, but it doesn't feel authentic unless I just say, you know, how are, how are you, how are you doing with this? I'm hanging in there. It's definitely tough. Um, but I really, I think I've created new routines, which Mm -hmm. help me right. Get through the day and feel productive. The biggest challenge for me is working out. Like I, I normally, I do high intensity workouts Yes. And I can't access my gym and I can't get access to heavy weights and yes. I can't drop the weights that I have at home on my floor. Otherwise I'll, I'll break my living room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's been really hard for me, the figuring out how to get my workout workouts to set to a high intensity. So, you know, you improvise, you make the best yeah. of it. Is there some of your routines you could share? <laughs> sure. So I do Olympic lifting. 
I like to lift heavy weights and I do CrossFit. Well, it so shows. <laughs> Thank you. For your Thank your you. photos and stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I am yeah. fighting aging. I am. I want to be active and I want to be able to do lots and stay healthy for a long time. And I hear that that is the closest thing to the fountain of youth. So I'm buying mm-hmm. into it full on. Awesome. So let's talk into like how this all got started. And I noticed that you, you said you, you just left Kaiser and I just have to give props to my, I've been in therapy a long time. I really, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I believe that it's, it's getting us back to our naturalness. Like I think that we're, we grew up in tribes around the fire. We're used to having mentors, shaman, leaders, I mean, people that we could bounce things off of. I think that's a perfectly natural way to to handle things cognitively. And our modern situation separates us from those people. And And I always said that I hired mine. And But can you tell us how you got to where you are now and, and what Little Gay Book is about? Sure. So I started at Kaiser as actually a resident. Like I was doing an internship there. And Kaiser's a great place to start because you see everybody. I, it was, it's a generalist model. So I worked in clinical, um, the psychiatry department, adult and children. And I had exposure to every presentation, every type of mental illness. And you have a lot of support. There's a big team. And if you, you know, find that you're like, on, when you're not at work, you don't have to worry about crises. They take care of it. So it's good when you're just beginning mm. to get, it's kind of, I describe it as like a boot camp. And I did that for around seven years and it's limited, right? Like I wasn't able to see my clients weekly. I was doing a lot of crisis management and I had a lot of training in trauma work. So I was seeing clients who had PTSD and acute stress disorder mainly, which is intense to mainly just be working with that population every day. And with Kaiser, the therapists there are, they're churning it out, right? They're seeing client after client after client with not a lot of breaks. And it just fell on me. And I I started to think a little bit outside of the box. Like I knew that I needed to think of some somehow to transition because I was getting burnt out. I was getting kind of I was mm. getting vicarious traumatization, which is basically where the therapist starts to experience trauma symptoms. Okay. After hearing so many disturbing stories again and again, because part of the treatment for trauma is exposure work. So we would sit and hear the same traumas repeated again and again to help heal the patient. So I was like living and breathing them, right? They're in, you do your best to take care of yourself, but over time, it's like, you you know, you're, if you're really in the work and you care, it gets in your cells. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. So, and I'm somebody who is in it. Like I love to help people. I love to connect with people and I, I care immensely. And that's how you help heal people is to really be in it, right? You can't act mm. as if you're in it. You're either in it or you're, it's not, you're not going to have a significant impact. Well, that's what this whole podcast is about is like heart centered connection. And yes. like you're describing that as being in it in and it. you, you were in it. And so, totally. and so then you're taking on all that I mean, you're experiencing their trauma through them. Exactly. And I was fine for years. And then I started to feel like I couldn't stay present with them in the room. And I couldn't figure out why, because my heart was invested. Mm. It was because my mind was starting to to shut down because it just couldn't tolerate it anymore. It was like I had been full. I got my full, okay. my fill, and I it couldn't take it anymore. So 
I was brainstorming at the time with, with my partner uh-huh. and we were trying to figure out what I could do to continue to do the kind of work that I do, but make it manageable and still enjoyable. And she had suggested to me, she said, well, why don't you, why don't you do what you do as a hobby? Make it a career. Because I had been doing matchmaking for fun. I, I'm very social and I, I love to bring awesome people together. So I was doing matchmaking on the side as a hobby. And she said, why don't you give it a go? And I was like, that's such a good idea. I have the clinical experience. I love human behavior. I, it, it would be, I would be focusing on doing things that are like bringing happiness to people. There, there's it less, therapy can be pretty long-term. So it like would be something that would happen sooner. So we didn't, it didn't have to be so prolonged. And I thought the community also needs it. Like we were having a really hard time meeting quality women were coming into my office telling me I'm having a hard time meeting quality women. And I'm like thinking to myself, I wish I could introduce you to my client that I just had three hours ago. Right? Yeah. So I gave it a go. I did it. 2009. Especially with that, with that kind of um, uh, empathy and intuition, yeah. that must have been just screaming in your head. Oh my God. Screaming. And it's totally unethical. I couldn't do it because of confidentiality. <laughs> I thought, all right, this is brilliant. So I put together a website and I got my first client and I started off with, you know, a database of 10 of my friends and basically wow. pounded the pavement. So that's how Little Gay Book was born. And it okay. was really hard in the beginning, but you know, it's when you believe in it, talk about like uh-huh. being invested. I believed in it and I was fighting for it and I fought for it for years. And then finally the community got on board and they were like, I understand, Frankie, what your whole plan was and what your intention is, and we back you. What was that passion behind that? Why were you so motivated to do something, especially, you know, I've I've listened to you tell your story on a couple other podcasts, and you said there might have even been a little pushback, and yet you still move forward. Um, what What was that spark inside of you? What needed to manifest? Yeah, I just, you know, when you know something, I just... I knew that I could help people in this way. I happen to be working primarily with lesbians and bisexual women because it was a niche, mm-hmm. but I can, I can work with anybody yeah. this way. And it was a pull that I couldn't ignore. And I knew that if I stuck with it and persisted, even though people were laughing in my face and they were totally poo-pooing what I was doing. Um, and I think, cause it just, there wasn't a frame of reference for it. We had um, dating apps and we had online dating sites, but there was nothing really out there about matchmaking. In the straight world, yes, or in the Jewish community, for sure, and in the Chinese culture, yes, but in our culture, not really. So they didn't really know what to do with me and they would just kind of laugh at me. And I just, I felt like there's no, I just, there was nothing that could convince me not to keep pushing forward. And I I listened to my gut a lot and I talk about Mm, it in a lot of interviews. My intuition and my gut, I've honed, like I really, I listen to it and I definitely value it. It helps guide me. So that's why I stuck with it. I just couldn't, I couldn't give it up no matter how much pushback I was getting. Can you talk about that, that connection to your intuition, your connection to your gut? Because especially with men, I think, well, society in general is is trained to like just talk about the, the your plastic feelings, your your facade, as opposed to being really in touch with your gut. Can you <laughs> sum yes. that up? In a, in I a, know like it's hard phrases? because I think that's so important. 
especially for queer people who are kind of afraid of following their gut because that can get them shamed or arrested or yeah and and we don't trust ourselves like if we have if things happen because of choices we've made that have injured us or harmed us in some way then we start to really not listen to our gut we don't trust it we don't trust our intuition or we question it and i just for me the way it's it's very abstract so it's hard to articulate sometimes but it's about getting really quiet and, and getting quiet kind of on a daily basis. I would say when I work out, there are points throughout my workout where I get really quiet mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm getting energized. There's lots of chemicals going through my brain, adrenaline and um, endorphins, and I'm feeling really good. And at that time I can stop, you know, I sit down, I breathe, I deep breathe in between sets and I just try to check in with myself and it's a time for me to get quiet. So we got to mm. get quiet. We're living in a really hectic, busy society and our lifestyle is just, it is not conducive to getting quiet unless you are intentional about it. And when you get quiet, you can hear, you can hear your yeah. internal voice giving you guidance, but you got to listen for it and you have to create space for it. Yeah. I, I don't think we, it, a lot of people have even articulated the, yeah, there's the physical, the working out, the making your muscles stronger and and whatnot. But there's that mental, spiritual thing in there too. And that'll lead us to our intuition. And I just recorded, so it'll come out this Friday on, I'm starting a Being a Man uh, series. The first one is Feel Your Feelings. Because if you feel your feelings, that's where all your information is. That's where your wisdom is. That's where what you're talking about. Like, would you say that you're living in your genius now? Do you feel like this is where you want to be, that you, you love what you're doing? I am definitely living in my genius. I like that. Think of it that way. Yes. And I didn't really, I wasn't strategic about it really. I just followed, again, I followed my gut and my heart. And it just, if you listen, it will, it will lead you there. And sure, are there barriers or obstacles that kind of present themselves that may give you pause and make you question if this is the right path? But if you're listening and your your feeling is telling you it's right, it's right, it's right, and you can't come up with Evidence, that's another thing. It's like, can you come up with evidence that doesn't support this feeling? Because sometimes our feelings give us the wrong information, right? Like yeah. Just because we feel something doesn't mean that it's actually 100% true. Mm-hmm. It might be based in fear that we're yes. feeling that and it's trying to protect us. So this is why you've got to kind of sit with it and challenge it and really look at it closely to see, is it just something that's fear-based or is it real? Like, should you be pivoting and going in the opposite direction? So. I am right where I should be, and I hope to continue to reach more people in my career. That's my goal. Now I'm kind of expanding what I do to reach a broader audience through television mm-hmm. and just not specifically working with lesbians and bisexual women anymore. Yeah. I work with everybody mm-hmm. because people are people. I just yeah. happened to start, right? It was a niche, so it was a way for me to get in uh-huh. and just begin. And um, now it's just, it's it really, I hope to keep growing. That is awesome. Um, I want to circle back to uh, you said the, the pushback. And um, do you think people are confused with uh, the difference between dating and hooking up? <laughs> I yes, mean, because you were just, so. <laughs> you were saying that, you know, people, you know, that, 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 oh, there's apps out there and, and all this stuff. But that's, to me, I don't even know. Well, I haven't been officially single for a very long time. I haven't been on a date. So <laughs> a real, well, you know like, what? like a classic date. 
Yeah. Yes, so because it's kind of a shit show. Okay. It's a shit show right now. <laughs> I wish you the look on your face. <laughs> you believe that. Oh, I do. Because it's it's really hard to ignore at this point. If all day long I'm hearing about the shit show and calls with clients and I just see people spinning their wheels and struggling in their search to find a quality interaction, they're just there's a lack of quality interactions. It's very superficial. Mm-hmm. And when you feel like you have just had a quality interaction, it's very elusive. All of a sudden that that person disappears. You know, uh. you get ghosted or they bench you, right? They put you on the side because they have five other people they're juggling. It's like we all have a serious case of like ADHD and yeah. addiction to the serotonin hit we're getting from swiping and matching with somebody. So it doesn't go, it stays very superficial. It doesn't delve in and any deeper than that. And it's very unsatisfying and keeping people in a place of isolation and loneliness. Yeah, well, you've described what I was <laughs> watching, but I was, I, yeah, I'm really glad that I'm uh, not into it. I read on the Psychology Today website that you said, self-actualization is growth-motivated rather than deficiency-motivated. And in the terms that I work with, kind of um, with somebody that I'm doing work with right now, he talks about we're either going towards something like going towards love or going away from something, going away from trauma. And I thought that that might be self-actualization is growth motivated rather than deficiency motivated. What, what, what do you mean by that? A lot of our life experience has to do with perception, right? And the lens that we look through, right? The way we view ourselves, the way that we view others in the world. And one easy way to kind of think about it is think about somebody who has experienced a traumatic incident in their life. They could either look at themselves as a survivor or a victim, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you're a survivor, you've overcome and you're, you're leaning into the positivity and the growth and self-actualization, like thinking about how that traumatic experience can either define them or help to shape them, but they're taking that and they're making it into something positive, right? Like I'll use an example for me. Um, So I had a pretty difficult childhood, which I'm open about. I talk about it. Um, My mom had bipolar disorder and really struggled. And she was also an alcoholic, although in her later years, she managed to maintain sobriety for a significant amount of time, which I I know how hard that was for her. So it's just, yeah. So I want to just mention that. But I used my childhood experience and observation of the struggle and human condition to propel me to like think, how can I, this is not going to define me. This is not going to, I'm not going to repeat this cycle. Like I'm not going to, I'm going to pay attention to alcohol, for example. I know that I'm predisposed to addiction, right? Mm -hmm. You take that information and you use it to help you make better choices. Mm -hmm. Do I drink? Sure. You're not going to see me pounding alcohol, right? Like just because I can probably get addicted, (laughs) Basically, you, wanna, you want to think about how you can grow and take difficult experiences and use them for, to propel you and help you to be a better version of yourself. So every day I'm striving to be a better version of myself. We all know, right, our, like, we have facets or kind of carbonated parts of our personality that mm-hmm. come from childhood. That yes, come from yeah. you know, and I'll say to my clients, like, yeah, sure. I, I'm not perfect. Like I've had plenty, I've been schooled <laughs> my whole life. I've been in therapy, right? Yes. But let me tell you, I am an imperfect being and, and I make mistakes, right? What do we do? We try to look at that. Don't ignore it. It's not going to go away. Look at it and grow from it and stretch yourself. And so that's, that's what I'm touching on. Like I work from that 
uh, viewpoint or like the way that I think about work with my clients is very much through that lens of like self-growth and positivity and how do we get to a place of self-actualization? So like a big part of that is how I tell my story about myself. Oh, yes. Um, The narrative, the story you create about history and about who you are today. And I'm really big on this idea now that I've had a hero's journey. The, the classic story arc of you start in the normal place, you go someplace unusual, you go through troubles and tribulations, and then you come back to, to normal, but you're a different person. You've evolved. That's the classic hero's journey. But it could also be the victim's journey. If you talked about it, you know, if all those trials and tribulations were still active, unresolved trauma. I think that queer people are forced on a hero's journey, like it or not. And that if we can frame our story a particular way, we can actually see that we're, we were forced into boot camp. (laughs) We were forced to go through this learning experience that other people who are just part of the dominant culture aren't forced to go through. Right. Would you think that that's it's true. true. And know? actually, it makes me think of Are You the One, the show that I was an expert on through, on MTV recently. Uh-huh. And I, yeah, I haven't seen it. So the reason why I'm bringing it up is because the cast, I don't want to say cast, whatever, the, the, you know, the awesome superstars that were on the show, yeah. uh, 20 plus year olds, I think they were ages, was it 21 to 28 year olds? And Goodness. so the house, there was so much depth to their character, to who they are as individuals that it was just, it was harder than in previous seasons where they had all straight folks on the show because oh, wow. so much juicy, just so much juicy stuff going on in there that had, it was multi-layered and it had so much depth. And it's because they've all, they're, they're sexually fluid mm-hmm. and they're out. And one person actually came out on the show, but she knew she was going to need to come out right okay. nationally on the show but they have dealt with adversity because of their own challenges of being part of the LGBTQ community, right? And dealing with their own sexuality and gender identity and sexual orientation, that there was so much depth they were forced to. So it speaks to what you're touching on, that we are forced to kind of deal with shit early on. And, and it's my judgment that it forces our minds to expand. As it makes it does. us more interesting, <laughs> right? Like, uh, yes. It's yes. boring if you've lived this like perfect, serene life in a bubble. Like where some of those rough edges makes us interesting. It gives us depth and capacity. And Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I want. I want queer people to see that. A lot of people I think still, especially I live right in... West Hollywood, Hollywood, awesome. um, you know, you're from the yeah. Bay Area. I know what I, you think of us. I love it. You're kidding. I'm so much fun there. I go for a weekend and I just, I leave just dancing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, I don't know. I like to poke that. It's like we're sister cities and we treat each other like siblings a lot. Yes, it's true. It's true. But it is true that we can get kind of hyper attached to the superficial here. And when um, we're attached to the hyper superficial, we don't see ourselves the depth that we have, that we've come. We see that as those struggles as deficiencies that we don't want people to see when in fact, that's some of our true goal. That's things you were just talking about. Yes. Well, there's shame, right? We have shame. We try to hide it. But it just, if you really flip that on its head... And instead of feeling shame about it and look at it and go, you know what, like this has forced me 
to look at myself, to reconsider how I want, you know, what relationships are important to me, how I want to be seen in this life, how, you know what I mean? It just forces you to, to look at yourself more deeply and it's, it's all good, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's recent. So many of us become teachers, psychologists, even I noticed even queer. I think the reason that people are touching into that is because we're, we, we're not afraid to feel and have other people feel we're gatekeepers to the, to that scary place. I think because people intuitionally have an intuition about us that they know we've been to the scary space. So they trust us to lead them there. Yes. You know? Okay. Let me ask, um, uh, what was this question I wanted to ask about? Well, with regard to dating and matchmaking, what do you think gay men and lesbians have in common, if anything? Oh my gosh. That's a hard one. I've never had anybody ask me that. (laughs) What do I think gay men and lesbians have in common? If anything, (laughs) I think now more than ever, there is, I think the lesbian community is more open to open relationships and polyamory and you guys in your community, I'm totally generalizing, but you can, you can, you'll tell me if I'm wrong. If it's to me, I can tell already. you you, You have been at like practicing this open relationship concept and polyamory concept for years, way before we did. And it's something that I'm seeing more of in the lesbian community and we're getting better at being more accepting of it and open to it. So I would say there's some overlap there. Okay, in the poly. So this gets me into this other thing about specialization. Um, Like, well, you, you started specializing with um, LGBT community, most lesbians and bisexual women. Not to, it seems weird to compare this, but, you know, I was an active person in the fetish leather community here. And there's the LA Leather Coalition, which has everybody meets once a month. And every time the men had a party that was just for men, we would have people, women really push back. Oh, why are you having just, we're all into kink and whatever. And my point with that especially is that a special magic can happen when we're very specifically getting together and doing something like it's very easy to see in a hypersexual situation like a bdsm play party but i also think that specialized places are also really important for building people's safety and self-esteem and well-being and strength when it comes to support groups like I used to be, I've been HIV positive since 1987. And it wasn't until like five years ago, 2008, 2009, before people ever thought about having, we we had HIV positive discussion groups, but we didn't have HIV negative discussion groups. Mm -hmm. And once we had those, I was dating guys like that. Those were hugely edifying. But then people would attack that, attack, why are you having a specialized group for negative guys? Why are you having a specialized group play party just for men? Why is this, you know, a woman's only thing? And People don't want to be excluded. They have yeah, FOMO. Yeah, <laughs> I know they do. But I, I, I also have this pets principle. This is me. Okay, I, I'm supposed to be interviewing you. But, um, but I think we, we have these four layers that we're, we confuse our private space. We think that the rules in our living room should apply to all society. Right. And, People forget that the rules in my living room can be radically different. Exactly. Than the uh, rules in my living room. Yes. Yes. So I, I just want to say that what I think 
it's specializing it with women and and bisexual women is is a huge service to that community because you know them and they know you and there's a certain kind of trust there that they might not get from general society and i would argue that general society is ready to trust you cuz we just talked about that we're the shaman we're the we're those people we're getting there we're getting there which is really exciting and they're yeah. curious general society is curious about how we do what we do and i mean we're all over television these days i don't even watch tv and recently with covid-19 i've been watching it more and i'm like oh my gosh there's so many gay queer characters Oh, everywhere now. Yeah. Everywhere. Because because we are everywhere. But I just want to see, I know it's difficult in a business model to stay in your niche, but can you talk about what are the positive things of, of, of serving a very specific community and explain why that's not hurting the rest of the community because you're providing a service that never existed before and you're serving these people but somehow people will come in and say, since I'm excluded, it hurts me. Yes. And it's happening now more than actually ever before, because I'm getting now with how inclusive we've be, we're becoming in terms of, and the gender fluidity and all of that. There are people that are feeling excluded from my events because they're events for women. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So I'm dealing with that at the next level, which Little Gay Book is trying to work through that and not offend people and help people feel safe and comfortable. But what it did when when I started in 09 is that it basically, I initially just focused on lesbians because that was a community that I was in and I had the most access to. And I'd already built up trust in that community because I was pretty involved in in many ways in advocacy around that community. But I realized that bisexuals, they were excluded and they were they they didn't have a place they weren't feeling welcome amongst lesbians they weren't feeling welcome necessarily amongst heterosexuals because they kept getting fetishized mm-hmm. and i thought you know what this is going to be disruptive to our community but necessary to give them a safe give, we need to start being inclusive and supporting one another and creating a safe space amongst queer women in general. So I just, I feel like they, women in general in the queer community have always been really, once, once I got fully pretty established and they understood my mission and my purpose, showing me so much gratitude and appreciation because they feel seen, they feel Mm -hmm. accepted, they feel it's a safe space. Mm -hmm. And it it repeatedly, it's not something that just came in and, and went out, right? It wasn't a fly by night situation. I've been here now going on 11 years creating community across the country. So it just, they feel a lot of love and they're feeling like they're people too. They matter, that they're wanted, that they're desired, that people, you know, just because you're bisexual, you're, there are lesbians who would be very happy to date you. Mm-hmm. But for a long time, they didn't, they didn't feel that. Yeah, you gave them a, a space to feel that. And I know that. And I just, I make up that those women are, they're edified and strengthened by that kind of thing. And then that exclusive kind of focus makes them better citizens when they go out into the world. (laughs) You know, their interactions with a a checkout clerk or an an Uber driver or their employees might be leveled out once their core essence is being spoken to and, and seen. 
Exactly. Yeah, there's a ripple effect. Yeah. And that is what keeps me here doing what I'm doing and giving me purpose every day. So if I leave a footprint, it's going to be the footprint of just empowering people to just be as authentic, as authentic as possible and following their gut, right? Following that intuition and doing trying to do the right thing as yeah. much as they can for themselves and others. Yeah. Awesome. I want to ask you three questions that I ask everybody on the show because I want the men and everybody else who listens to my show to to focus on those three things. And then I want to get some questions from the, the, the women I know. Awesome. <laughs> First of all, how do you invest in yourself? You know, how do you invest in your own well-being, your own dignity? I would say that I try on a daily basis to one figure out how I can continue to grow and stretch myself. So I, I engage in things that make me uncomfortable that I know are good for my well-being or for people as a whole, I'm infusing positivity. So however I can, like we all have that negative space we can get into. I'm very hyper aware of that space. And then I, I catch myself and I figure out how, how can I proceed forward with positivity? So again, it's, I slow myself down and I try to really think about, is this, is this a decision that is respectable, honorable? Does this maintain my dignity? Is this reminiscent of really my core values? So a lot of just checking in with myself and keeping that in the forefront of my mind on a daily basis. It's a daily, it's a practice every day. Mm -hmm. In uh, yoga, we got that's dinara. It happens, right? Dinara is trying to focus on something and knowing you're going to lose it (laughs) and then going back to it. Exactly. And then you know, you're going to lose it and then go back to it. Exactly. Yes. So it's got to be very intentional. It's not, Mm -hmm. you can't just have that, you know, thought and then expect that it's going to be there every day. You know, it's something that you have to think about and and make a concerted effort to have a part of your life. To practice like, like working out or. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Who do you consider family, either bio or chosen? Like who's going to be before this started? I said, who will visit you in the hospital? Um, Who will put you in the ground? Who, who, who's that family and how do you invest in those relationships? Yeah. So my children are, my, my son and daughter who are turning 15 in May are family. Um, my dad is, who lives in Israel, is in the 70s. I'm very close to him. My mom passed away going on three years now, mm. so she's not here. But I would say mainly when I think about family, it's really my immediate, like my dad, my sister. I have a sister who's 21, Uh a much younger sister who I'm incredibly close with and a few extended family uh, relatives, but it's very small. I have a small family. And then um, not to put you on the spot, but but do you want to identify any chosen family, people that are there all the time. I have plenty of chosen family. I've created, <laughs> so I moved 3,000 miles away, right? I'm from New York yes, City. Yes. And I live in California now. And I've had to create a chosen family here because holidays, mm-hmm. right? My family's not here and I'm not going to travel back east for every holiday. And so I have very close friends that a small group, actually, um, I would say less than 10 people that I try to really maintain a close relationship with. So I talk to them weekly. I try Mm -hmm. to see them now. It's harder than ever, but I would make sure to see them at least once a month. So less than 10. I think I like quality relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's more than that. There's just not enough time in this life to invest in order to have that with more people. But if I could, I would. And how do you think they became your core circle? 
Oh, that's a good question. I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I they, love about being a host. I can ask impossible questions that I couldn't answer myself. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and you're asking que- questions that I haven't been asked before, which is always fun because I've been interviewing for <laughs> yeah. years, right? Um, so people that can be honest, even mm. if it's hard for them, and even if it's something they feel might hurt me, but they're, they're willing to invest in our relationship enough to be honest, even when it's hard. People who are authentic aren't afraid to show their vulnerability, like to show those carbon spots I was talking about uh-huh. and know that like, I'm still going to love them and be there. They don't have to be perfect all the time. And then people who I can laugh with. So everybody I'm really close with can just laugh at themselves and laugh at life and try to maintain positivity more often than not. Those are the people that I have in my little foxhole. That sounds like a great recipe. It really does. <laughs> Thank uh, you. It's working so far, I think. And, you know, um, they find me in the ass, but you know, they love me nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of it, right? That's part of the dance. When you have that yeah. kind of set of criteria, you're going to... Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some pain. (laughs) At other places. But it makes it interesting, right? And real. Because what's the human condition all about? It's about suffering, right? Yeah. So we kind of suffer together. That's what the Buddha says. Yeah, that's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So let's close it out with some very lesbian stuff, if you don't. Perfect. I feel like my last job, I worked at West Hollywood City Hall. So I was able, my supervisor and my manager and my director were all um, lesbian. And we we worked special events. So we would like stand around at events for 13 hours at a time. And we got to know each other. I got got lots of estrogen. Well, yeah, and I got to see the the the, the pluses of, of of you know managing as women and stuff. I never, um, nobody ever shished my feelings, good, <laughs> and whatnot. So, um, for all of them, I'm I'm interested in your wing woman service. Uh, what is that still happening? Is that no? Which I have bad news about right now. Oh no! Yeah, okay. it's not. <laughs> it never quite fully got off the ground, and I think it was because there, there's so I have so many ideas, and I'm an entrepreneur, right? But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a psychologist and a matchmaker, but there's a big part of me that's also an entrepreneur, and I have like many entrepreneurs a lot of ideas. <laughs> so that was one that came from a lot of like women were asking about a service like that. So a lot mm. of what I do actually is coming from yeah. expressing the need for something and I try to manifest it. So I didn't put in enough time and I will, I will, I will resurrect it at some point right now. I have too much going on um, in other areas for the company that mm-hmm. I can't do it, but it's an ama- it's just the concept is brilliant, right? Like a lot of us are single and we have friends that are partnered already that don't have a lot of free time or interest to go to singles events with us. <laughs> and it's really hard to break in to an, you know, an event on your own and make conversation with people solo. It's hard for most of us. Mm-hmm. And then especially for those of us who are introverted, it's incredibly hard. So um, I basically, it, it's like, it's like renting, <laughs> it's renting a person who has great social skills and who's fun to go out to events with you for three, four hours and to help you mix and mingle and meet people. That is awesome. And there that were plenty awesome. of women that wanted to do it. I thought I would have trouble finding wing women. Oh. And no, they were like, 
emailing me, please add yes. me to the list. <laughs> I was just thinking all, you know, my former colleagues would be like, oh, sure, that they would totally do that. Absolutely. They were all um, uh, in relationships, but uh, two of them were married and one was in. Per- but it's perfect you know. for somebody who's, who's married. You get to be yeah. out. Like you get to see all this stuff that's happening in a single life that you, yeah. you know, that you don't have to deal with anymore. <laughs> and I also think that I don't know if that would work with men. I don't think it would. I think Why? Because be. um, men are just so, int- well, I don't know. It depends. It would have to be a very formalized, okay, guys, this is not about hooking up. This is about dating. And we'd have to yes. have a whole like sit down. Educational process. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's an hour didactic required yes. <laughs> to understand what we're doing it's not about yeah. sticking it in it's, it's yeah. more than that yeah <laughs> you want to like feel yeah. this we want to feel this yeah. you can Our say hearts. that i can't oh i know let, yeah. that's why i'm saying oh, it. i would not i would not dare but yeah oh, okay I agree. <laughs> yeah you don't you don't yeah just don't disagree that's all <laughs> <laughs> Um, so could I ask you some questions from my, um, from Leslie, um, Leslie asks, um, who is the most difficult kind of lesbian to match? I would say somebody who's very, very pretty rigid, somebody who's rigid, who has a huge laundry list of must haves and deal breakers Mm -hmm. because no one's good enough for them. Yeah. So somebody who has unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. and it's pretty rigid. The, the more flexible and fluid we can be and the more we can recognize that we're all imperfect, the greater chance you'll have to finding somebody and being in a relationship. I'm just laughing because that's what a lot of hookup apps and stuff look like and all these lists. Yeah, that's uh, ridiculous. It's just, it's like, it keeps you single. It guarantees your singlehood. So make sure to have the longer the list is, the longer you're going to be single. I love that. That's like my dad, Bill Gurley, says stuff like that. You can either have a list or you can have a relationship. Exactly. <laughs> and and as the- long as you know that, just know that and you're fine. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, uh, next question. Um, what aspects of a match make them successful in the long run? What's yeah. the magic bullet, I guess? Communication, patience, and commitment. If you are willing to, you're committed to that relationship, you're willing to do the work on that relationship, you're willing to communicate when things come up, right? And work through it and recognizing that we're like, we're, we're all works in progress. Like you're, that's a recipe for success. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of my clients will say, I don't ever leave the court. Like right there, she's in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always being open and curious. No matter Open, how, curious. what's happening. Yes. And committed to the process. It's what I hear a lot about is that, that people, when it, when it gets difficult, they're out, they're ready to go on back on the app and start swiping again because yeah. it's easier. Because, well, and that's the fantasy we've all been told. Said, um, yes. Who's that singer who says, um, I've been poisoned by these fairy tales. Um, but we were, know, we're, all, we're all, we're ra- all ra- raised on these fairy tales that, it's difficult to get at the beginning and then you get together and everything's great. Exactly. When it's just the reverse of that. We can but, thank Disney for that. Thanks, yeah. Disney. Yeah, Disney's <laughs> poisoned our minds. Um, and uh, this sounds like the same answer, but what do, you need, what do you need from your clients in order to make successful matches? I need them to be patient, right? I need them mm. to be open. 
I need them to be realistic. So like, you know, somebody who is overweight that wants to be with somebody who's, you know, 5'11 and size four or six and works out, you know, six days a week. That to me blows my mind. Why would somebody who's not taking good care of themselves think that somebody who is in top notch shape want to be with them? Oh, well, I'm not going to touch that. Okay. <laughs> I'll say it. I will say it because I hear, I hear it and I need to put it out there. We need to be honest with ourselves about what we have to offer and we need re- to be realistic about who would mm. want to be with us. Okay. Given that, what we have to offer. So Mike, that's a, does that answer your question? Yes, that honesty just keeps coming up over and over and over again. <laughs> With ourselves and others. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So to lie on your dating app and put photos of yourself that aren't even accurate, that don't accurately reflect the way you look, mm. you're setting yourself up for rejection. Stop doing it. Just be you. Be that be interesting you. person we were talking about. You have this fascinating story. Of, yes, of people see it. Yeah. 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 So I think I'm going to paraphrase a couple of these. Is there a difference in the matchmaking between lesbians and, and I'll just have like three, you know, gay people, lesbians and straight people. And we know everything is completely gray. It's all one thing. We're just picking out three dots yes. on that line, right? Yes. So let me see if I can answer this. So with lesbians, what really, really is important that isn't important in other, um, well, with heterosexual matchmaking is the nuance of the f- masculinity and femininity spectrum. So the way I use, I use a Likert scale. So 10 is high femme, five is androgynous, one is stone butch. I ask women to tell me where they fall on the scale okay. and give me a range. Cause we can't bucket, right? We can't bucket ourselves perfectly. Some days I look like I'm androgynous. <laughs> I look like I'm high femme. Like what, you know what I mean? So I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm a seven on the scale or a six, seven, right? I'm, so I think for, for lesbians, that's really important. When somebody's attracted to more masculine women, it matters. I can't, I can't introduce them to a femme and expect them to actually be attracted to one another. It's not going to happen. Whereas in the straight world, a guy's like, just introduce me to a beautiful woman. <laughs> He's not However saying she shows up as long as she's beautiful, <laughs> right? Make sure she's beautiful, and uh, you know, make sure she's androgynous. No, that's not going to happen. That's not. They're not asking for that. Um, yeah. And then with gay men, and granted, I haven't worked with. I initially, when I first started Little Gay Book, I worked with gay men and lesbians. I forgot to mention that. Okay. But when I realized that, I'm just going to say you touched on the reason why I did not continue taking on you know gay men mm-hmm. as clients. It was just and too I'm, hard. I'm open to that. You can't, you can't hurt my feelings with that. Okay. I, I know us. You know. I had, it was too hard. And it's, I have so much love for your community, 100%, but it's, mm-hmm. I'm just going to speak the truth. It was too hard for me as a matchmaker to match for monogamy. Mm. So I think also, like lesbians, gay men, they care about, you guys have different terms, right? And I don't know them all, and I would butcher them if I even tried, but certain type, where do they fall? Like more masculine, more, more feminine. Mask femme is basically how that goes, yeah. So it's similar. Yeah. I would use the scale. Even when I was the head matchmaking clients that were gay men, I was using mm-hmm. the same scale. So that's the main okay. difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for my 54 years deep in the culture, mm-hmm. I would agree with you. <laughs> Thanks for that. I, was, I, get, I get scared to offend or have anybody think that I'm not. Oh, so. no, 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 no. That's so much about what, you know, I'm just really hoping this podcast works because I, I you know, it's about 
heart-centered connection between gay men. And people are like, yes. what do you mean? <laughs> like, Good. Yeah. That just, no, you know, that means that you, you're, yeah, that, that if Corona wasn't happening right now, be in a very open relationships, me and m- almost all of my core family, core chosen family is, is very open and fluid uh, as far as when it comes to sex. And I would teach naked yoga classes and whatnot. And everybody would agree that the hardest part of the class is I would have people come up and they would touch a person's heart with their hand and look into their eyes. Yeah, because it's so intimate. For a minute. And that was harder than anything else in the whole class. They could do anything sexually with that person a lot easier than just look into their eyes and say, I see you. Yes. Yeah. You know? And that's why I love what you're doing. And, and, and I agree with you. What I'm trying to say is that's the way we built. If we don't start with honesty, if we're not honest that, yes, I'm like triggered uh, 90% of like why I want to hook up with you is physical. And then it's conscious. It takes practice, like you were saying, to like get down and what do I really want? What I really want is connection. Yes. What I really want is love. Yes. What I really well, want we all is want, support. We all want that. Yeah. yeah. You know, but that's vulnerable. And especially men are taught, don't be vulnerable. Then right. you're not a man. You're not, yeah. you're not valuable. Yeah. And you're um, not strong. And it's, so it's a lot of undoing programming that we've had our whole lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you're going to help. Hopefully you're going to help lots of men. Well, you're going to help, um, by just showing <laughs> like, um, especially when it comes to queerness, I know that you're transitioning to like a broader thing, but it's honoring who we are and celebrating who we are as opposed to tolerating who we are. We need to stop tolerating who we are. We need to start celebrating who we are. I agree. I love that. Yes, absolutely. And then we can live in our genius like you're doing. And you, by taking the risk of living in your genius, are so much more valuable to the world than seeing just one client at a time. And, you know, thank you, Mike. Thank you. It's a calling, right? It's just, it's pulling me further. Like I, like I said, I just listen, I'm just getting pulled now to work with just people, not, you know, exclusively. So yeah. So I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for doing the work. Um, is there anything else that I didn't touch that, you know, you would like to? One day when I do my podcast again, when I have time, I'm going to have you as a guest because there's so many things I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to take over the interview. So just be ready. I'm coming for you. Awesome. I'm ready. I'm ready. I want you to know after just probably 10 minutes of doing research on you, I'm like, oh my God, if reincarnation is real, I want, if I come back as a lesbian, I want to come back like Dr. Frankie. Oh it's my totally, gosh. I'm oh. totally you, except for like, I'm a total gay man. I'm very, very gay and I'm very much identify with my gender. Um, but I've so relate to you right down to the party, like the, my partner um, that I have now, we met at a, at an, an event. You guys were talking about motorcycle fairings. Yes. Funny, but we were talking about, we were both in government. And I don't know if you had the same repelling effect that we did on the rest of the party, but we were talking about what, what our thing was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like you guys are talking about your thing. And exactly. It, like it really, really connected. It really connected. It's just that one thing 
that you can connect on is what can lead, right? It's what leads us to the next. Yeah. Like I looked at that point. I'm like, oh, we, she rides bikes and I'm wanting to get a bike right now. It was like an instant. <laughs> and she has something to tell me about it. And she's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, the well, then I have like a kind of another personal question. Maybe you can help me with. Um, yeah. It's about, I'm in a business relationship with my ex-husband. <laughs> this studio is his condo where I used to live. And we decided what to do with this condo during our divorce. But we're still in a relationship because... That's possible. Um, yeah. But you're also like, you were raising kids with yes. your partner, right? Yes. And how do you, do you have any advice on navigating these rela- a relationship with your ex when you have an invested other? Ours, we can get rid of. You can't, yours, you're going to no. have yours no matter what. But it's very, um, very hard, especially if you have different communication styles and if you know people move on right they repartner like my ex is is remarried has a baby but she has a new family so there are more dynamics right more people to navigate so what i would say is it's in my kids best interest to maintain a good relationship with my ex and mm-hmm. while i don't always like the choices that she makes or the things that she does i try to see it from her perspective as much as i can and know that there's not one way to deal with the situation. And my goal is to just be as as caring and protective for my, like create a very safe space for my kids to thrive. And it's not about my feelings and it's not about how I think things should be done. It's about what is going to keep my kids thriving. What's good for the kids. Exactly, exactly. You can bounce everything off of. Yeah, you have to suspend your bullshit. You just have to right? To spend your stuff that you get caught up in that you, you know, you want things done a certain way or you have, you, you, you don't understand why they would choose to, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff doesn't, it's like get quiet again and figure out how do I, how do I help support these two beings that I put on this earth that are my responsibility and that's what matters. Mm. So that's how I do it. It's hard. It's very, it's very hard. But it sounds I, like you uh, pull on your intuition again there. Again. I'm telling you, it's with me. It's my best friend. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I could talk to you forever. Um, I want to thank you so much thank for you. coming here and are zooming here. And um, it's, I knew I would love meeting you, but I, you are, I, I just, yeah, you're so awesome. And I love the work that you're doing. I love who you're doing it with. I love how open and honest and authentic you are. You make me really proud to be part of the LGBT community. You're a, a, a perfect example of like, and you're being you and you're offering, you're blessing other people's ability to couple, which is hard. And even though that's like one of the hardest things to do right now, especially with all the technology and all the chaos and all the distractions and and you're doing it and um, it must be a calling because it sounds really, really, really hard. Oh, Mike, thank you for everything. And I'm, I'm honored to, to be here, to have met you. Next time I'm in WeHo, I, I'm going yes. to look you up. and Absolutely. Um, hang in there. Well, thank you. You hang in there too, you and your family and, and your, 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 your 16-year-old fur baby. <laughs> exactly. We will. Okay. Yes, for sure. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And that, my friends, is Dr. Frankie Bichon. Dr. Frankie is a great example of tuning into her intuition to find out what living in her genius looks like and finding joy as a result. 
Remember, you can find Dr. Frankie on Instagram at Dr. Frankie Bashan, on Facebook at Frankie Bashan, and at Little Gay Book, on YouTube at Little Gay Book, or her website, just simply drfrankie.com. That's D-R-F-R-A-N-K-I-E dot com. And you can find all of that in our show notes. Have an excellent day. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Now stay connected by subscribing to Girly Men Podcast and sharing with your friends on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Visit the webpage at girlymen.com, sign up for the newsletter, and find more details about each episode. Let's make this a conversation because I'd really like to hear from you. Join us on Facebook at Girly Men. Submit your questions, suggest topics, or just chat with your brothers. Want to add your own two cents? Use the voice memo feature on your smartphone. Ask a question or say anything. We just might play it on the podcast. Email the file to mike at girlymen.com. Until next time.